Hello and welcome to Impact the Borough, a podcast from the Greensboro Chamber of Commerce. I'm Brent Christensen, President and CEO of the Greensboro Chamber of Commerce. Each week, a Chamber staff member will sit down with a guest to discuss what we're doing to start and grow businesses, create quality jobs, develop our workforce, and tell the inspiring story of Greensboro to the world. This podcast is brought to you by Truliant Federal Credit Union a modern, mission-driven financial institution focused on the needs of its members, the businesses it serves, and our community. With five locations in Guilford County, including a dedicated commercial lending office at Friendly Center and a highly rated mobile banking app, Truliant makes it their business to help you grow yours. Visit truliant.org for more information. All right. Well, welcome to another episode of the Greensboro Chamber of Commerce's podcast, Impact the Borough. Um, My name is Lizzie Tasuda, and I am the director of Campus Greensboro, which is an initiative of Action Greensboro that is focused on our college students in our city, um, getting them connected to industry, and hopefully helping them fall in love with Greensboro so that they'll make Greensboro home post-graduation. Today, we have two special guests with us um, who both have very busy schedules, especially this time of year. Uh, so we're really excited to have them. Um, we have Amy Grossman with the North Carolina Folk Festival, and we have Mark Brazel with Wyndham Championship. So Amy and Mark, do you want to guys want to introduce yourself before we dive in? Sure, I'll go ahead. This is Amy Grossman. I'm the president and CEO of the North Carolina Folk Festival. And Lizzie, I want to thank you and the chamber for inviting me to be part of this. Yeah, I'm Mark Brazel, tournament director of the Wyndham Championship. Um, happy to be on here with Amy. Thank you, Lizzie, for, for setting this up. And uh, this should be a lot of fun. Absolutely. Um, well, thank you all. So the topic today is on virtual events. So I think we're all pretty used to Zoom right around now. Um, Most of us have either attended many Zoom meetings or WebEx or other whatever platform your organization uses. Um, And you might have attended some workshops, webinars, and other events um, that have been streamed online as well. I know through Campus Greensboro, we have a summer fellows program that we had to totally shift to virtual. Um, So every week we met with the fellows, the students in our program um, to do something virtually. And we ended with a closing reception in early August where we actually did a speed networking event uh, through Zoom that was a lot of fun. So even though we had to be virtual, um, you know, there are ways to get creative and there's ways to keep people engaged, even if it's through a screen. And no one knows that more um, than our two guests today uh, who really had to think about how do you engage large audiences uh, through a screen um, on their computer. So Mark, let's talk um, with you first a little bit about the Wyndham. Um, What did the Wyndham look like this year? Well, um, normally, you know, the the tournament is um, a pretty massive event here in the in Greensboro and the triad where we have anywhere between 20 and 30,000 people out there and I say 30,000 people out there a day. When Tiger Woods showed up in 2015, it got a little out of hand. It was a lot of fun, but then we had, you know, we had uh, anywhere between, you know, 26 to 32,000 people out there each day, which was our biggest number ever. Um, normally, we would have anywhere like a Thursday, Friday from 15,000 to 25,000 out there Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So ends up being around, you know, if there's, if there's really bad weather, you're looking at 80,000 people showing up if it's really nice weather with a great leaderboard 
you know, we could get up to the, the 120,000 people throughout the week. Um, so this year, obviously with uh, the pandemic and COVID-19, um, we basically started, you know, started the 2020 tournament um, the day after the 2019 winter championship. So we start planning, we start <clears throat> looking at positives and negatives, um, all the same stuff that Amy would do um, with the folk festival. And so we get all the way to March and we've got a great date this year um, at the time because the Olympics is in front of us, but really only four Americans plays play in the Olympics. So we felt like we were going to probably have one of our best fields ever and we're selling that way. So our sales were great. And then all of a sudden, you know, middle of March happens right when we have um, we're about to uh, uh, we're about to open up the Tanger Center here in Greensboro. We're about to, um, you know, we're in, in the middle of the men's ACC basketball tournament. Thank God, goodness we got the ACC women's tournament in. But uh, then the, and then the week of the Players Championship, which is the the PJ Tours flagship tournament down in Ponte Vedra Beach. Um, they they stopped after the they canceled after the first round. So, you know, everything came to a screeching halt, as we know. Um, I'm not exactly sure the date on that. It felt like it was in the middle of March. Um, but obviously, we felt like as we were getting the information about the coronavirus that we were probably going to be OK in August if everything went well. And I, I kept hearing from a lot of scientists and a lot of doctors that the heat will probably have a real negative effect on this coronavirus, meaning or, or a positive effect for, for, for all of us and we'll, we'll, we'll hurt it and, and maybe kill it. But that didn't happen. And I felt like, you know, there was, even though I felt like our governor did a really good job, I think felt like some, some other states opened way too soon. And we saw kind of an explosion in the summer. And, you know, so bottom line is we had, we, we actually planned for about four tournaments. We, we had planned for the regular tournament, we planned for a, a little bit of a watered-down version of the tournament where we had still had pro-ams and sponsors and maybe 10,000 fans out there. And then, and then we started planning for the next one, which would have been like in June. And we were working with the state the whole time um, very closely. The state actually approved um, us having a, having a tournament with 5,000 people out there, sponsors and fans and our pro-ams. And so that's what we were rolling with until the middle of July when the tour kind of shut it all down, which I get. And I kind of was feeling it as we were getting closer and closer to it. Um, so we basically had a tournament that was um, with, with no fans, no sponsors, um, just a golf tournament. So we had to think all the time about how do we bring this tournament, just like you're talking about, Lizzie, um, to the world, because we have a pretty big stage. We have the we have Golf Channel going Thursday, Friday. CBS Saturday to Sunday. And what a lot of people don't know is they just think about us having a domestic audience. Well, we have a worldwide audience that actually reaches, not saying that everybody watches, but it reaches uh, over um, 1.3 billion households throughout the world. So it, it really is, we look at it as our one annual uh, huge time for the Greensboro and the triad to kind of be seen uh, by the rest of the world. And in a large, in a, to a large extent, that's, that's very true. Um, so we had to think about what could we do to make Wyndham happy? What could we do to make Truist happy? How could we still have this tournament? So we started doing things like we upgraded the beach out on 15. 
Um, we put a we put a really cool waterfall there and tried to make that more interactive with the with the fans on television. And we also built a massive sandcastle on the back where usually we have luxury suites. You know, probably we probably have six hundred thousand dollars worth of luxury suites back there. And we didn't have any this year. And so we put a massive uh, sandcastle back there for, again, and it got, it got all over TV, just like the beach did. So that was a great uh, call on Wyndham's part. And so I mean, that, that's kind of the things we tried to do was what do we do to bring a really cool virtual experience to all the people um, so that the, who were watching on, on television. <clears throat> Absolutely. Um, I think most of us can resonate with having to have plan A, B, C, D, E, F, G <laughs> um, yeah. as things continue to change and the uncertainty just rises. Um, so it's cool to hear about how, you know, you you kind of alter the tournament to really show well on TV um, and engage your fans through TVs. What did you do um, as far as social media? Did you guys do anything different this year? Yeah, it, it became way more active. You know, we have uh, Leslie Johnson, who's in charge of our, all of our social media. We worked really well with the tour on that. <clears throat> and so we, you know, we, we, we tried to have more engagement with our fans and uh, through social media. But, you know, with, with a tournament like ours, and I, I know I speak on behalf of Amy as well, but you really, you, you know, the, the, the spirit and the soul of the tournament is the fans, and so you just kind of like look at yourself like, what in the world are we doing out here? It was, it was heartbreaking to, for the 81st year of our PGA Tour event, 81 years since 1938, <clears throat> that, that we had no fans. I mean, this thing is built around fans. It'd be like having a, you know, like a, kind of like a carnival with no fans. You just, it's just, you don't even do it. So, but the tour wanted to continue having these tournaments uh, because, you know, charities could still receive some money through them the tour players could still make a living. They had, they had been <clears throat> 11 tournaments had been um, canceled. So there were those opportunities that they lost on, you know, making their livings. Um, and then they were able to showcase Wyndham still showcase our region and our city. Um, but the, you know, the one thing that I would say that was a, obviously a massive deal and um, Amy will appreciate this because you're only as good as your operations director. <laughs> and so my operations director is well-known guy around here, Bobby Powell, who I brought in uh, from the American Junior Golf Association, which is where I came from. After a couple of years I was here, I brought Bobby in to <clears throat> be my main operations guy. And he's certainly my right-hand guy. And, you know, he really, I'd say, dominated this year because he had so many things on his plate that none of us were really used to dealing with. But he, he handled the, I mean, he had, he had a full-time gig times two this year <clears throat> because of all the different changes. Also all the um, um, requirements that the tour put on us and what we wanted to do in the, the, the County and the state in, <clears throat> you know, COVID-19 protocols, because we went over and beyond um, that. I mean, we had one of the, when we sent that into the, to the state, they basically said that this was um that, that our plan was like the gold standard of plans they had seen so far. And they worked with us on it, but, but we put a really good plan together that I felt like we could have easily had that 5,000 people out there in the pro and all that, but the players in the tour weren't quite ready. They knew that the, <clears throat> the model that they had um, for TV only was going well. It was still safe. We had a bubble of 500 people 
players, caddies, myself, others included in it. Um, so they felt like they were comfortable with that. And I, I think that's the reason we continued with that, that model. Yes, that makes a lot of sense. Um, well, thank you for sharing all of that. Uh, like I said, it sounds like, um, you know, obviously it went very well and you guys did everything in your power to, to make it as engaging as possible, even though it had to be virtual. Um, and so I think that's inspiring. And uh, so let's shift to Amy a little bit because um, I know that the, the folk festival is coming up um, and you guys have really had to shift as well. So what is the plan for this year's festival? Yeah, so, you know, uh, I will just kind of, uh, without echoing and repeating a lot of what Mark said, you know, there were just in the lead up to what we decided to do, there was a lot of, you know, plan A, plan B, all of that. And one thing I will say is that, you know, while, you know, the sports and the arts industries, you know, kind of exist in their own little worlds, I think we were all watching each other and seeing what the other was doing. We were very closely watching not only what Wyndham specifically was planning to do, but also other sports leagues. Uh, because when we're all in the business of creating events that involve a mass gathering of people, and so it was really important for us to just kind of keep an eye, you know, who's being really innovative and creative, you know, how, how are we all also, how are we all holding each other accountable? Uh, because if one event does something that's, you know, completely outside of the comfort zone and someone gets hurt or gets sick, it affects all of us. And, you know, what I've seen, you know, across our industry, and you see it in the sports industry as, as well, is that, you know, it comes down to the safety of not only your audience, which are the lifeblood of what you do, it's who you do this for, but also the artists and the crew, the professional staff and the professional artists in our case, who we invite to be part of our event and wanting to make sure that whatever it is that we do, they feel safe uh, and feel like protocols are in place to protect their health. And, you know, as things progressed, you know, we realized very quickly that we would not be able, no matter what, we would not be able to produce the festival to the scale that we've done in the past. So we knew very early that we would do something modified. We didn't know what modified meant. You know, it took more waiting and planning and modeling out different scenarios before, you know, finally, uh, you know, just like Wyndham in July, that was really the critical point when we knew that, especially with the governor's orders on, you know, uh, you know, the capacity of people that were allowed in a space, you know, once we knew that that was not going to go up or not open up and that it still was looking like cases in North Carolina of COVID were on the rise, we said, all right, we just, we just have to commit. We have to go all in on virtual. And so at that point, the decision was pretty easy. Um, and you know, what we had also done, uh, you know, from our standpoint is very early on, you know, I had already had lots of artists from across the country lined up to be part of this year's festival. I even had a group that I was talking to about coming over from Italy. Uh, well, we know what happened in Italy. <laughs> they got hit hard with COVID. Uh, so very early on, I, I had to just cancel a lot of those performers and put them on hold for 2021. And we immediately shifted our own programmatic focus to North Carolina performers. And there were a couple of reasons for that. Number one, we felt that in this time, we really wanted to support the people who are part of our own community and region. But there was also a practical side to it. 
you know, uh, you know, asking a group to fly on a plane and come down from New York or from another place. It just it just did not make sense for us or for them to put them in that situation. But with a lot of North Carolina based artists, for most of them, it was just a day trip. They can just come over, do their thing and then go home and sleep in their own beds. So that was a very strategic decision we made. And then we partnered, we connected with Seven Cinematics, the video production and uh, video and streaming production company here in Greensboro. And, you know, what Mark said about, you know, when you have an event that is designed around the audience experience, you have to rethink that in this scenario. And you have to put more emphasis on how is this gonna look and how is this gonna appeal to people if they're staring at a screen, looking at it. So with Seven Cinematics, what we decided to do was to try to retain as much of that feel and aesthetic of a live performance. So all the groups came in and we told them, perform your set as you would on stage introduce your songs, make fun of each other, do whatever it is that you do during your normal performance. And that's what we want to share with everyone. And then we also decided uh, that this was an incredible opportunity for us to really shine a light on some locations around Greensboro that may or may not be known to people. They have either cultural or historical significance, um, or they're just really great locations here that we felt could use a little bit of uh, you know, amplification, you know, in, in who and what they were. And what we ended up with is, um, one other thing I'll mention is that in talking to Seven Cinematics, they have a lot of experience with streaming, doing video production with concerts. They felt very strongly, and I agreed, that, you know, really narrowing in on a focus where we're still going to have our three-day festival, but focus on a really rich two hours, you know, because instead of trying to do a full six hours, eight hours of programming where people are not going to stay tuned in, really narrow in on a really rich experience that is about the length of a movie. And so that's what we did. And we've got, we ended up lining up 10 different North Carolina performers. We filmed them in nine locations uh, around Greensboro. And I've seen a little bit of the rough cuts of some of the video and it looks absolutely stunning. Uh, I cannot wait for everyone to see it. I think there is so much for us, especially in this community in Greensboro to be proud of, not only about the beauty that is here, uh, you know, just visually, but also the history and the stories of these places that we're going to be featuring in our program. So yeah, that's what we're focusing on. You know, I think, I think we really, we were in a position to be able to pivot pretty quickly uh, because we are an independent 501c3 organization and we could do that. Um, and one other thing that I'll say that, you know, uh, worked for us, Mark mentioned a little bit about sponsors and that engagement. That's also an important part of what we do. Uh, we did, I will say, we did have some attrition uh, from some sponsors who just felt that the in-person experience is what they were buying into. And because we aren't able to do that this year, they weren't able to put the dollars behind it. They, but they all said, come back to me next year. Uh, and then on the other hand, we had some sponsors who jumped at the prospect of being seen by more eyes across the country, across the world than they would have just in our in-person event. So it was really, it was really a toss up, but a lot of learnings uh, that will go into decision-making going forward. Absolutely. Um, I love how you talked a little bit about the length of your events. I think so early on in all of this, when we were trying to plan some virtual events, I read somewhere, I wish I could remember where, that a hour-long Zoom 
event is equivalent to a three hour long in person event as far as attention span goes. And I think that's really true. Um, and so I think it's so smart to really, you know, cut down maybe the, the quantities or the length, but really focus on that rich content and that quality to keep people engaged. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and I, I'm, again, I hope everyone tunes in. It's going to be great. And even after, I will say one other thing, we're obviously going to be premiering this um, on our normal festival dates of September 11, 12, but it's available for, it's going to be available for on-demand viewing thereafter. Okay. Uh, so it'll be up there for people to view for, for who knows how long. So where do people find it to view? How can they so? Yeah, there are several ways. Uh, so first of all, through our own folk festival platforms, we're going to be uh, broadcasting it, premiering it through our YouTube channel, through Facebook. The city of Greensboro is also going to kind of, I guess, simulcast, it might be the word for it. They're going to do that through their online platforms as well, YouTube and, uh, you know, social media. But Greensboro is also going to broadcast it on GTN, so their local television network station. So anyone ha who has who has access to GTN via their cable provider or by downloading the GTN app or, or channel on Roku will be able to watch it. And then the, the one other thing that we're doing is, and this, this came through the partnership with Seven Cinematics, uh, for quite some time they have worked with an online concert streaming platform called nugs.net, that's N like Nancy, U-G-S.net. And uh, they, the concerts are on there, you know, everything from Dave Matthews to Red Hot Chili Peppers to Sublime to you name it. And it's a member-based uh, platform uh, and it does have a lot of pay-per-view content Content, but our content is going to be free to view. Uh, but they have hundreds of thousands of members uh, to this platform. So we're really optimistic that our content is going to be unique. It's going to be really special. It's going to be free to view and uh, on all of the platforms that we're doing. And so we're really excited about getting that exposure uh, even beyond just Greensboro and North Carolina. Yes, um, it's great to hear that. And I know Mark kind of talked about that too, that both of your events do, you know, are a really great selling point of Greensboro, right? Um, so it's awesome that both of you guys have figured out a way to, even though it may have to be virtual and even though it might be on a local scale this year, how do you, you know, broadcast that out and really showcase Greensboro as a city? So I think that's very cool. Um, so you know, there are a lot of nonprofits, a lot of organizations who either have conferences or fundraising events or other things that they typically do, you know, this upcoming or in the falls. Um, what advice would you have for them for this upcoming fall on how they can put together a really solid virtual experience? I mean, I think, I think Amy's um, model <clears throat> could, could easily and I think if somebody did a deep dive in what Amy's planning for the folk festival, they could, they could turn that into a, um, what a lot of the things that she's doing into a conference. I bet you Amy could start running conferences now virtually like in the back of her hand. Um, not me so much. We were, <clears throat> we're kind of restricted with obviously with what the PGA tour is allowing us to do. Amy's got a lot more freedom probably to, to do, but I would say that a couple of things that um, obviously the safety protocols, if you know, is is obviously number one. It's it's all about health and safety. So, with that in mind, 
I got to think there's going to be a ton of conferences here this fall that will be done virtually. It makes no sense at all right now for anybody in this country, probably around this world right now, to be trying to have, you know, a bunch of people in, in rooms together. You know, maybe, maybe you could do something outside. Outside's a lot better than inside. Maybe you can do something outside where everybody's socially distant. But, you know, what we're finding, depending on the age bracket of, of people, um, you're, you're not going to you're not going to be able to separate teenagers and college kids. That's that's number one. Now, I think that more mature uh, adults probably could pull it off. But I, I would say right now and, and I, I would just say and I've told other tournament directors and we've been on calls together that. I would highly recommend be have this plan of TV only right now because I just don't see, um, you know, the 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 risk of having an, an in person event, having fans at an at an event like the Wyndham or the Folk Festival. It just doesn't make any sense right now. And you don't want to be like Amy said. You don't want to be that first first event out that turns into a a disaster of of um, a super spreader, and um, you know. We've got to we've got to be patient with this thing. We've got to be and you think outside the box like PJ Tour has, like Amy has with the Folk Festival. Um, it's great that she has a production company here and um, that she's working with that specializes in this because they're, they're really good at this. And um, I'm looking forward to it. I, I you know would like to, to talk and this is my olive branch, but I'd love to talk to Amy about the, the in-person experience once that gets going again, because we are, we want to see, um, <clears throat> we want to see a, an uptick in music around Greensboro and, and the triad as well. And she's leading the charge in that. So um, we want to be supportive in that at, at the right time, but I don't see that. I mean, I, I really hope that 2021 is going to be better for us um, to where we will be able to have some fans and pro-ams and be able to have the experience for our sponsors because Amy and I live in the same world. We can't do what we're doing without the sponsors. I mean, Amy really doesn't, she doesn't sell tickets for this. This is a free uh, event, major music event that is free. You don't see a lot of those. She is being paid by the, the Wrangler and the Lees of the world, the, the, um, and all the different companies around, the, around Greensboro that are, that are sponsoring. The banks, I'm sure, are, are, are involved. Um, she's out there, you know, pounding the pavement like I am. Because it doesn't happen at the Wyndham Championship without sponsors, too. I mean, obviously, Wyndham and Truist are our two biggest sponsors. But we have sponsors anywhere from $350,000 all the way down to $5,000. You know, and we have, we have a couple hundred sponsors in that world uh, that support us. And all of them are important. And you, when, when it doesn't make sense for those sponsors, then, then um, just like Amy said, um, they, they might not want to come out and be a, be a part of this. I mean, when we were looking at it in July and it started, I started realizing that we may be um, looking at a TV only event. <clears throat> the corporate world had already figured it out. They were ahead of us and they were saying, look, our entire industry, nobody's traveling. Our entire, our, our company is not going to be back in the office until February. And I'm like, Oh my God, this is serious. And so that was going on about four weeks before we got the no. And that's why I was kind of like, this is probably the right decision because corporate America has already told me that, that they are backing away from, from, you know, this type of thing and, and, you know, having fans, having sponsors at an event. 
Yeah, and Lizzie, I'll, I'll, you know, append a little bit onto what Mark has said, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, how we're looking at going forward with our fundraising, you know, one of the, one of the big pivots was to our budget, um, you know, our, our budget, you know, had to be shifted and reprioritized towards certain things to make the video production happen. And I had to cut a lot of other things. And, um, you know, so we, we really had to set our expectations, realistic expectations for ourselves. And as ambitious as we uh, want to be in growing this festival, growing its stature, growing its presence, it was kind of like, all right, slow down here, everyone, reality check. You know, right now, let, let's hold off on you know the ambition to thrive and let's just survive right now. And so that has just kind of been a shift, you know, financially to make sure that we're getting, you know, the donations and the support in to cover us right now, because this is not business as usual. You know, I, even several industry uh, uh, conferences that I typically would be registering for right now, they've gone all virtual. They're not even hosting. And these are in January, February into next spring, because right now is the time that they need to plan them. And if there is just still too much uncertainty right now for them to be able to plan, then they just have to make a decision of what they're doing, regardless of what ends up happening. Uh, and that's, that's, you're going to see that across our industry. You know, um, there are other festivals that even are scheduled for next spring and they've already decided this is when we need to make decisions right now. And we can't make decisions right now. So we need to push back or, you know, so th this is really going to take a long time for the events industry to recover from this. Uh, you know, people are out of work. Uh, we can't raise money. Companies aren't spending. Because people are out of work, they're not able to give as much as they normally would. And so we're taking all of that into consideration. The other thing that my team is doing, you know, going forward is, you know, really trying to put our entrepreneurial caps on and really think about different ways that we can generate revenue to keep the organization afloat during this, uh, but also laying the groundwork for what things can look like once things get back to some semblance of normal. So, you know, one of the big things that we're going to miss out on this year is all of the earned revenue that we would have, you know, uh, brought in from the festival that we get mostly from merchandise sales and the sale of beverages, beer. You know, that's a few hundred thousand dollars uh, that is just gone, wiped out from our budget. Uh, so these, those are the things and so that we need to think about. And okay, well, what are the other ways that we might be able to sell an experience, sell a product, to do something really creative and think outside the box? And then, like I said, just be realistic about those expectations. Be really conservative <laughs> about your estimations of what you can do. And that's, that's where we are. And so far, we've been able to weather this. So far, knock on wood, uh, we've been able to weather this pretty well. But, you know, who knows what's going to happen? Yes, um, I can relate to both of y'all's sentiments. I think that... Um, you know, one of the, the silver linings that I've seen in all of this is that people have been giving others a lot of grace. You know, we're, we're all kind of trying to figure this out. Um, everyone is affected in different ways. And so, um, you know, even though this year looks different, um, I've been really impressed with how our community has given each other grace and flexibility as we figure out, you know, what, what this will look like and, and how to move forward. Well, um, we have just a couple of minutes uh, left in this podcast. 
Um, do you guys have any final words? I've really enjoyed hearing about how the Wyndham went and kind of what your strategies were. Um, I'm so excited about the Folk Festival this year. I'll definitely be tuning in. Um, so any, any final thoughts before we adjourn? I'll share, you know, just one thing, um, you know, I, I, one thing that I think would really help a lot of folks, especially in our immediate uh, uh, community, whether it's, you know, hosting a watch party at your home, uh, you know, uh, you know, with a, with a small group of people, <laughs> of course, uh, for the folk festival or anything else that any of our other colleagues in our local arts community or our region or across the country is, you know, try to couple that and pair that with supporting something local. You know, go order takeout from a downtown restaurant or find out if a, if a restaurant is gonna be broadcasting it. Like I would love it if some businesses, restaurants here in town would broadcast our festival and then make an event out of it. Invite people to come in, have some specials, do that. But I just encourage people to think about how they can amplify their support uh, of watching these things online. They may not be contributing financially to that, but think of other ways that you can support local business to just enhance your own experience uh, in, in supporting local. Thanks so much to Mark and Amy for being with us today and telling us more about how the Wyndham went um, and the upcoming North Carolina Folk Festival. Uh, and thanks everyone for tuning in. Um, we will see you next week for the next episode of Impact the Borough, the Greensboro Chamber of Commerce's podcast. This podcast is brought to you by TrueLiant Federal Credit Union, a modern mission-driven financial institution focused on the needs of its members the businesses it serves, and our community. With five locations in Guilford County, including a dedicated commercial lending office at Friendly Center and a highly rated mobile banking app, Truliant makes it their business to help you grow yours. Visit truliant.org for more information. You can find all of our episodes on YouTube thanks to our video sponsor, North State. Impact the Borough is recorded at Press Play Studios. Producers are Brody Cohen-Glaze and Holly West. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at GSO Chamber. See you next time.